Witches and mortals seldom do mix, but when mixed marriage is on the cards, insanity pursues with the classic 60s sitcom Bewitched with your co-hosts, Vicky Ray, Rod Labby, and Keith Chandler. Witches have never been so exposed before. Hello, welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and it's Bewitched Week, where we're discussing Season 2, Episodes 9 through 12. And this is the end of our Season 4 Bewitched episodes. Of course, next week in Season 5, um, when we do next month, Bewitched will be expanding to 8 episodes, but since we're in Season 4, we'll be only covering 4 for our very last Season 4 Bewitched. And so for, let's see who's with us today, we have Vicki Ray. Hello, Vicki. Hey, everybody. And Jesse Fultz is with us. Hello, Jesse. Hey, how's it going? And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to, starting with you, Vix. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? <laughs> Not a lot. I'm telling everybody I've been living a really boring life last two weeks. I've been fighting off summer colds and just trying to catch up on the house stuff, things that you got to do around the house, little projects here and there. Um, I did watch that movie, though, you told me about The Boy Behind the Door. That mm-hmm. was intense. That was really intense. I really, that's the first movie that I really, I, I really literally bit my nails off. I mean, literally, because I, I did no clue how this was going to end. And it was so good. I can't, I think, was it on Netflix or was, yeah. No, oh, Shudder. Sure. Shudder. Yeah. It was on Shudder. It was really, really worth watching. I really enjoyed it. And then I watched this weird movie called The Devil Below, where these guys were minors. And, uh, and they had a mining accident. Apparently, they dug really oh, deep into the earth. It was kind of lame, but it was kind of fun at the same time. I like the actors. That's why I liked about it. But uh, Asher's got me watching this Destination Fear thing lately. I get such a kick out of these guys because they scream like little bitches. They go ghost hunting and stuff. And they go to the worst places they can. And the, all these guys are just screaming like little girls. You know, I shouldn't say that. But they just scream. I mean, they're just squealing like kids. But me and Asher get a kick out of it. He might, he might be my new ghost hunting partner. Asher's interested. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. His mother probably would never allow me to take him to the, the portals of hell and back. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But not a whole lot going on. It's just hot and muggy and all that other good stuff here in Texas. So what about you guys? What about yourself, Jesse? What have you been up to? Uh, visiting museums, going to the city. Um, oh, we're getting so cosmopolitan in our old age. Oh, so I actually had a Cosmo last night. Oh, you uh, did? Whatever. How yeah, I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> you had a Cosmo. Get a boiler yeah. maker. Throw some hair on your nads. <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm not like, I, I don't drink a lot. So I just, I don't anymore either, man. Don't feel bad. I just, I just try lots of different things because I don't know what I like yet. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of like um, like Jaeger or something sometimes, or what is it um, like a good IPA? Um, Jaegermeister. Oh, you like that Jaeger bomb? Yeah, absinthe. Well, I, mean, I don't. Well, think that I'd... shit's expensive. That's a hundred dollars. Yeah, I know. Like I know. It's hard to find. Like the only it's one that's hard that they, to find uh, the real the real absinthe. You know, it's I really true. Love. It's. It's true. I think you have to import it from like different countries if you want from really. UK. Good. You get it from the UK. They got some good stuff, but they, it's expensive. The only the only thing they have around here is like I don't know the Marilyn Manson absinthe. I think they have that um, at that. the local one. I haven't either. 
I, I don't know if it, I mean I don't know I don't know why I'm hesitant to try it maybe because I think there's some kind of like dark magic in it I don't know <laughs> um probably trip falls on it or something something I don't know uh but yeah I, I like a good IPA too sometimes um German beer I don't know like authentic German beer I had one expensive German beer years ago on my buddy's birthday um because he wanted to go to this really expensive restaurant and that beer was like totally different than anything I've ever tasted since um and a spoon but it was there. really good German beer the mm. real German beer is kind of thick and dark and... oh yeah yeah that's true it is kind of syrupy it, it's similar to Jaeger actually um except not as sweet but it, it it does have kind of a darker yeah it's definitely like it, it's like it's like the color of molasses i guess yeah um but yeah it was good i was really impressed with that actually and i haven't found anything since that's remotely like that but some of them taste very floral um kind of like kombucha or something but i like kombucha too but that's not like technically kombucha, like, my daughter i buy one every so often because she says it's good for me so it's they're good like the, if you get the the gt brand those are the best by far because it doesn't just taste like vinegar if you get any other brand sometimes even it's if it's flavored are you going down though you know it can it, uh, it's really what's the word i want to use bubbly i mean yeah, it's, it's really it's sharp when it comes cemented. to the bubbles. Got lots of gas lots and lots of gas there's the italians would say lots of gas yeah you get your you want your water uh, with gas or no gas? I, it took me a while to figure out what the Italians were talking about. But. Yeah, so uh, it's been you know that and uh, some art stuff. I mean, mostly like I've been sanding um, a chair, um, fi- finishing up some furniture. Cause I'm trying to get. I don't know. I'm not. I've never done any of these things before, and I'm also trying to experiment with spray paint. And I'm beginning. I've been spending a lot of money on like spray paint and I know stuff lately. Like, really good money refurbing old furniture really yeah I, I might try that sometime maybe i don't know it's a bit infuriating because i don't know if i have the right sanding stuff so it's really difficult to get in like the more the rustic the, the more it sells you know like the okay. blues like this kind of color furniture kind of thing you know i'm not talking about people up that shit anyway what about you keith um i haven't really been up too much i've been ill this week um but saying that um back for blood has just gone gold status um, a million copies pre-sold, so that's good. The open beta wow. is out this weekend um, on Xbox, PlayStation, and across computer, so you can play it for free for one whole weekend. Um, um, the only thing that we would suggest, though, that if you do play it free, at the end of um, your quest, um, the end of the level, if you finish playing the first time, there will be a QR code. Um, scan that with your phone, and we're looking for all your feedback about how ways that, that this game can be improved. But so far, as doing, yeah, so... Um, a little bit of that. Watched a little bit of telly um, because I've been ill. I've been feeling sorry for myself and watching rom-coms and wishing that I was in those rom-coms. <laughs> so obviously, I'm a bit oh delicate at the moment emotionally, but um, but I'm back to normal. So I'm you know I'm I'm the asshole that basically I was before I got ill. So I'm back to being that person. But besides that, yeah, not a lot. Uh, sorting out season five. Got the season five new opening credits sorted out. We have a new um, regular co-host joining us, um, which is quite exciting. Um, more of that um, in the next couple of weeks, and they'll be out in our newsletter, and it'll be introduced to those people. And other than that, that's it, really. So We've gotten so exciting in our old age. COVID yeah. has turned us into boring <laughs> people over the last year. Uh, yeah, I guess so. 
Well, that brings us to Bewitched, Season 2, Episode 9, first episode, and then I wrote. Samantha is writing a play for the American Civil War Centennial Pageant, but she's having some writer's block. And Dora suggests that she materializes the characters in front of her so that she can get a better idea of what to write. The problem is that they now materialize whenever Samantha thinks about them. Samantha has to figure out a way to make her vivid imagination not so vivid. She gets some help from her characters. And this was filmed July 21st, 1965. So, Jesse, what are your thoughts about And Then I Wrote? I thought it was really, really funny. Um, I forgot how in, how funny um, this episode was. It, it, I mean, this is one of my favorite seasons. So all of these episodes, I think, that we watched were really good, in my opinion. Um, I can't even remember. I just thought it was funny, like, when she was in the office, thinking while Darren was off talking to um, that, what the hell is that doctor's name? Doctor something more? Doctor, what was the doctor's name? The psychiatrist. Yeah, doctor. Oh. I always wanted to say Strathmore because that's the, that's the, in Dark Shadows, there's this chick that said, Dr. Strathmore, or Captain Strathmore got me a compact. Um, but no, it was something with more at the end, but I don't remember. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was funny because Samantha was sitting there thinking about the play, wondering what to do. And then all of a sudden, like, everyone's just showing up. Or Gladys. At, at this point, I don't even think Samantha really bats an eyelash from Gladys. Was it wasn't was it just or... me, or was Gladys much more intrusive and snoopy yes. in this block? It just and, like yes, she's always got absolutely. a glass in her hand to borrow a mm. cup of sugar and look in her window. No, no, I don't need any sugar. I got plenty at home. <laughs> no, I mean she totally I admits it. My sugar again, I also, she just it. keeps thinking of stuff, and it happens, right? I guess she just thinks of the Civil War people and. Well, I also have to yeah, the, the, the forward thinking of this because um, I thought it was really interesting when basically, um, the well, Red Indian, which we call the Native American state, but Red Indian back in the 60s. Yeah, and definitely a wild actor. <laughs> and, and, some, and, some, um, and someone says something to him and he goes, he goes, he goes, how come you don't have me speaking like, you know, like they had me go like, oh, white men, you know, white men talk Hugs with tongues because I didn't want to stereotype you. I don't know, you know, think about 19, that's quite, that's, this is quite a forward way of thinking back in this time. Basically. No, I noticed that too. A lot of these, a lot of those quips could have been used in, you know, like an episode today because they were kind of addressing a lot of those things, like things that you would regularly hear on TV now. It's very common to hear stuff like that on an episode of something because they do involve a lot of um, those kinds of political correctness in a lot of shows now. I was surprised at how much they did that too. I totally noticed that, um, especially when in the beginning I became on the scene and um, who, who was it? Was it Samantha that asked him why he didn't speak that way or yeah, who was uh, it? And he and yeah, I think, and, I think so. No, I don't think it was Samantha. Samantha said, no, she goes, I didn't want, I didn't want to stereotype you. She didn't use those words. I didn't want to, she used the word. Oh, yeah, and, was it um, was it one of the other characters that she cr- created? Because no one knew about that. You got the Southern um, Belle, you got the, the Confederate General, and yes, got, who's the other guy? And the Indian, the Indian, and the Indian. That that was talk about stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, 
It was, yeah. you know, but but the thing is, <clears throat> I always said, if you want to look for something that would really piss off people, look for old westerns because they talk about stereotyping the, you know, the American natives. You know? <laughs> but, but I thought it was really interesting that this episode actually caught, you know, basically took that and basically addressed that issue. And I thought that was, you know, what very the general or the, no, with the with the American, no, with the Indian, because the way yeah. he spoke. And um, someone goes to American Indian, how come you're not speaking this way? And and, and she goes. He goes, and he thank he thanks her for not stereotyping him because yeah. he speaks like a normal person. And she goes, oh, "That's true. That's right." Well, it's crazy because I'm surprised that with that forward thinking, even as far back as the '60s, you know, as evident, um, you know, they were still dealing with that. Like in the '90s, they're probably still dealing with it now. Because I know with you know when um, Disney did Pocahontas, there was a lot of people who were upset by. What I love Pocahontas. I thought I it was too. beautiful. Uh, I did beautiful too. animation. Some Native Americans loved it. Others didn't. They thought it wasn't. See, see how you you can draw the conclusion that it was disrespectful because I didn't. I thought it was very spiritual no. animation. Okay. So. I mean, a lot of people thought so, but a lot of people also didn't think so. So it, it was a mixed bag. From what I. I I read some kind of or no, I watched a documentary about it, and they were talking the problem, about the problem, it. The problem, I think the problem. I think the problem. I think what people found the problem with Pocahontas is, is that to Disneyfy a real life person, because basically what happens is that her and John Smith end up happily ever after. But the problem basically. Well, is we, and she was depicted as a mature, probably twenties to thirty year old woman who was very. She was a twelve like, year old girl. She was a twelve year old well, girl. All Disney princesses. She was very sexual, and the they film. sexualize everybody. I would, no, no, I would say what, what more we... so with Pocahontas. <laughs> I would say she's probably the most sexy Disney character. Yeah, I mean, what about Aladdin? And, you know. No, but I, th- I think with I think with I think the problem with Pocahontas is that because it's a, a real person, and I think I think that's I don't think it was the way that that the the Indian tribe was um, described. That wasn't the problem with Pocahontas. The problem with Pocahontas, the reason why there was problems with it, is that this is a real life person. They hadn't it hadn't anything to do with how they depicted her. Depicted her. The problem is what happened to Pocahontas is basically she goes to England. Um, um, John Smith brings her to England and turns her into a prostitute. Basically, that's the, pro- that's the problem. That's the problem with the story and what they yeah. Do, oh. She basically became this, and then for that they fell in love, and then she became like this Disney princess. Well, the thing is, like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, you're taking a real life person here, and you're basically fantasizing what this person's story is, and that's what they had a problem with. They they didn't have a problem with the way that you know showing the Indian tribe or, or anything like that, or the way they spoke or anything like that. They didn't even have a problem with a Broadway Jewish actor stu- sing- being the singing voice for her. That wasn't the problem. The problem basically is is that if you're going to tell the story of Pocahontas, you might as well tell the whole story that basically this woman put her life in front of her, uh, put her life before her father's sort of thing to protect these mm-hmm. people coming to her land, right. which is a beautiful story. But then what happened to her afterwards is the, is the tragedy of the story sort of thing. And that's, that's where they had the problem with Pocahontas. It had nothing to do with the way that the Indian tribe was pre- presented or anything like that. Which, to be honest, I can kind of see the reason, you know. Sort of yeah, thing. it'd be like I, you know, mm-hmm. she died in Grandson, United Kingdom. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit yeah, like buried in St. George's yeah. Church. 
It's been like Festival of Horrors in Texas. You know, if you take that, it's a musical with Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. It's a true story. Now, the end of the Broadway show basically is that, you know, Miss Mona and all, you know, they, they don't get together. She leads a horrible life. She, you know, she dies alone and she loses everything. In the movie production, her and Burt Reynolds get together at the end of the Happily Ever After. Right. And, and, you know, the thing is, you know, it's one thing if you're doing a fantasy or something like Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman works fine. But if that was the true story of a real prostitute, you might not want to depictiate that because what you're doing is you're mixing fact and fiction a little bit. You know, you know, it's a bit like um, I remember when Pretty Woman came out and I remember so many 13-year-old girls said that they wanted to be Julie Roberts in Pretty Woman, which is like... Uh, you want to be mm. <laughs> you I like that right. movie <laughs> what I like that well, movie it's a great movie but I'm sitting there saying but it, but it is a bit problematic when you look at when when the time it came out and 13 and 14 year old girls are watching it and this is what they want to be when they grow up you know what I mean yeah. so it's, like, it's a great movie it's you know I love it I'm not saying anything against it but it does it can throw up problems in certain situations I guess um, but if I remember correctly, I think another issue that they brought up was that there weren't, it, I think it was partly to do with the depiction of indigenous people, but also that indigenous people weren't heavily involved in the background of creating it or something. I I might have that wrong. Just from the documentary I watched, I don't know if that's true. I don't know how many um, Native Americans. I don't remember, but. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think there's probably a lot of Native Americans working in animation. Yeah, probably not. But um, and then they they did bring up uh, Moana as a comparison because the two movies are very similar. They did actually more heavily involve indigenous people, but um, there were complaints about how Disney depicts indigenous people, um, like in Lilo and Stitch, um, Pocahontas, Moana. Like they they listed that. It, but honestly, I think they were being nitpicky because you can't. I I feel like there's certain people you can just never make happy even if you try to do or abide by their suggestions um because i think they did involve people um who gave their input about the music about what they did they also had a confederate Um, soldier not a yankee soldier so i was wondering you know was were people more receptive to the South back then, or you know, was everybody? Uh, I guess. <laughs> I also think that it's, I think that again is something. I think that there. I think this episode was trying to paint. Um, I think there was like an undercurrent about stereotyping as well, because. Yeah, it, I think that's what it was. Because uh, him is like, I'm a, you know, I'm a Confederate soldier. And she goes, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take off your beard and mustache. Oh, you can't do that, I'm a Confederate soldier. People have an expectation of what that, that is, and it's the beard right. and mustache. And and they also did they also said something similar with the um because she was a Southern Belle but then they turned into a from Pennsylvania so she's a Northern Yankee girl at by the end of it and about what that meant and they they addressed that stereotype as well a little bit so was, well they said she's a Yankee or something like that and uh, then then when you saw how pretty she was it didn't really matter that she was a Yankee yeah but also that um that you know that she should be demure and um and then answerable to a guy and she ends up becoming fourth worth and a mind of her own so i think this episode even though it had like this backdrop about the writer's block and make it kind of cute and kind of fun i think there's i think there was a message that they were bringing through that definitely and they did a very good job with it i thought um because it wasn't like it wasn't taking like 
you know, something and drilling you in the head with it. It was very um, subtle. It was subtle. It was subtle, but it was also done with like care. You know, it wasn't done uh, with a negative um, approach to the audience or the watchers or the viewers, whatever. So I think that's the best way to go. Like if you do have a message, especially if it is, uh, you know, somewhat political, you shouldn't try to drill your audience in their head and basically tell them that they're horrible. You need to kind of do it lovingly with care and just educate like you care about people. Like Pocahontas was trying to do to John Smith in, in that movie. She did try to help the settlers. You know, and you can sing to your audience. I think she, did she die of tuberculosis or pneumonia or something, I think. She got like pneumonia or something. Yeah. Um, whatever illness she had caused the pneumonia, I believe. Because of the, oh, I, I don't think she was used to the weather. In Great Britain, probably not. I could yeah. the dirt and the, and the noise and the pollution and everything like that. I mean, this, going from like living in a forest and living in a really crowded city can't be good. <laughs> yeah, looking out Actually, on the street. Watch out below. <laughs> you know what's funny? I recently, I recently watched, I know this is a little off topic, but I recently watched um, the second Pocahontas film. And that's where she goes to London. I don't know right. if any of you have seen it, but it reminded me so much of the 2017 Wonder Woman movie. It was so similar, so ridiculously sim- similar. Um, the second, the sequel to the cartoon Pocahontas movie is very similar to the 2017 Wonder Woman film. Yeah. If you watch them, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Because they're both in London. They're both foreign princesses who are kind of navigating and they're, they're getting dressed by uh, a fun, pudgy British woman. Right. Right. Um, and all of these other things, they go to balls, galas, whatever you want to call them. And they're very strong, independent women who aren't afraid to tell people what's on their mind. And I don't know if you watch the two, you'll totally see all the comparisons. They're, they're so similar. I mean, I think another thing I found interesting about this episode is that um, there was no negativity painted in any direction either. Like, Darren didn't go off the rails during this episode. No, he that was very satisfying. Well, he kind of, there was, a, there was a dynamic going on there. He was kind of irritated because she oh, got like him the bed, involved the bedroom in all scene? Like the bedroom huh. scene or something? No, no, the beginning. That's right, yeah, in the beginning when she made a promise that Darren would be involved, which I thought was a little careless of her to do. I was like, why'd you do that? Like, what do you expect, Samantha? Like, you can't make promises without consulting your husband first. Just before that, she talked about how busy Darren is all the time. <laughs> he works all the time. <laughs> he's never home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, what, yeah, what made her think what made her think Darren would be able to write a whole playwright? I, I, don't, I don't understand. And um, I thought it was kind of immature. It wasn't painted. And I mean, it wasn't, I, the dynamics are a bit different. I mean, you had, I mean, you had Gladys going a bit crazy like we normally do sort of thing. Of but even the way that they approach the craziness, like going to the psychiatrist and does all, you know, just the way everything's dealt with, everything was dealt, everything was dealt slightly different than what we've seen previously. No, it's true. I think that that can be said with um, all of these episodes. There's something more fresh about the episodes that I watched. And it was such a relief because I felt like I was struggling with some of this, the episodes from last um, season towards the end or the middle or whatever. Well, there was a couple that were a little iffy. So. Yes. But with this, I was 
you know, with this block, I was very like, I loved every episode. It was very interesting, very clever. And they did involve more of like the whole witchcraft thing. It was more lighthearted and things like that. And with this one, I don't know. I think one of my favorite scenes in this episode was when (laughs) Darren was sleeping and Samantha's like, I think she's wide awake thinking of the play and then the characters start going behind like their headboard and like telling her what should happen next and then Darren wakes up and kind of like he he tries to go back to sleep and then all of a sudden he's aware of like everyone there and yeah I thought that was pretty funny and then she sat up and was like listening to them very fascinated by what was you know gonna happen next that yeah that's one of my favorite scenes I thought that was really funny and I like that um, every time her her subconscious was taking over and they would appear. Then um, he, he got to kiss her and he disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was quite good. But I also liked <laughs> yeah. the way that it, that it was actually the characters that had to actually come out with the plot, the story. Samantha couldn't mm-hmm. do the plot. They had to tell her what the plot was, sort of thing. So, yeah, that like, was cool. I thought, I thought it was clever how they needed to finish the very thing that they were trying to avoid which is letting them tell the story in order for them to go back and disappear and, I don't know, go back into subconscious, I guess, or get stuck in the script. I don't know. I don't know how that works. That was a bit confusing, but still, it was very, it reminded me of, like, I don't know, like a vintage story from, like, the 1960s that you'd read to a kid before bed or something. It was uh, it was very cutesy and, but we and also very entertaining. Learned, we also learned something else about the Bewitched world as well, is that normally when they bring someone forward they're normally like coming from their time or they're a real person true but now we know that they can bring people up from just out of their own make-believe worlds and they can actually make that person a, a living person in the real world mm-hmm. which is quite interesting because you know before it's like if they popped anything and whether it was a doorknob or whether it was a you know a, you know a bounty or whatever they always like taking them from wherever they were and poof into you know into you know Samantha's home or wherever. We knew that they were real. They had a real, they were a real living person somewhere before they got popped here, and or if it was a stop sign or a traffic traffic light that was actually coming from a street somewhere. That's not oh yeah, that was when you bring that up. That's actually kind of confusing because it's like, why would they need to have done that if they could just bring something into thin air? Like, why did Endora take a street sign from like Britain? or various other places in the real world when she could have just, you know, summoned one up from her own imagination. I I wonder, I mean, I know it's a sitcom, so not a lot of thought goes into world building, but still you have to wonder. Um, And I know later... But it might be because Samantha is actually writing about these people and either to write something that you have to breathe life into the characters that you're writing about maybe is it because she's pregnant they just pop up every time she thinks about them or or did they ever say why she was having that little clara i don't i think think it has to do with um if you're a writer and i think you know you know at the end of the day a writer writes this stuff as well that isn't and working with writers in the past don't they always say that you know that when they write when they start writing like their books or whatever like that, they let their characters speak to them and the, and their characters suggest the path that they're going to take while they're writing for them. So the, so yeah. the character becomes a real person for them. Or, or isn't it like J.K. Rawlings that sit there and said that when um, Volt, not Voldemort dies, but when Dumbledore dies, right. <laughs> people, 
should have read it by now if you haven't. Haha, <laughs> screw you. Right. But anyway, but when Dalbert, she said that she actually cried when she was writing his death, sort of thing. Wow, because, that's intense. So, <laughs> so, so, when I, when I look at, so when I look at this episode of Bewitch, maybe it has to do with the lines along that, that basically is that, you know, if you're popping things back and forth, that basically you're, you know, they're not living things, they're just things sort of thing. But the with this character, because they're imaginary characters, is something that she's actually breathing life into while she's writing them and thinking about them, and she's breathing life into these characters, maybe. So even though they're not real, but in a way they are real to her. Yeah, but they're talking to her as though they are figments of her imagination, so it is kind of funny that way, you know. Yeah. Really and they're fully aware of the fact that they're figments of her imagination, which I also found uh, kind of endearing, I guess, because they weren't, you know, sometimes I feel like when I've seen movies like this where there's a similar plot, these characters just kind of are blank slates, and then the character kind of has to teach them how to behave, but these characters are fully aware of the fact that they come from her her mind, and that she has to be the one to kind of give them something to do because otherwise they're just standing there but they can give their thoughts and opinions on what they would like or suggestions which i also thought was interesting so they have their own personalities despite being figments of her imagination well an interesting thing i guess i can probably add to this is that scripts that i've had written that i haven't produced I can give I can give you the character list of those, and I can tell you what they look like, what they listen to, what they like to eat, everything about that character. Even those characters never lived, but in my mind, I know exactly what they look like. I can tell you everything about that character. Though you can tell me about people I work with, and I couldn't give you that much information about. <laughs> I can I can tell you people I've known for like over forty years, and I couldn't give you as much detail as I can give you about the characters I've written about. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of bizarre world sort of thing you know i would have liked to actually have seen the play i would have loved to have that be the end where and, and maybe potentially even see these same characters play out this role and have her try to explain to certain people where these actors came from or something because they want to use them for another play i was hoping for something like that but that didn't happen i thought that would have been really cool to have seen the actual like end of that play i said they said that once they reenacted what the plot would be it didn't sound like it was gonna be great (laughs) no i agree i agreed i thought it was very weak and it was like (laughs) so they all just shoot each other and die and she and and why i don't know i didn't the choice of music was kind of corny and i mean it was very corny overall it was very it wasn't even cliche it was just very it was very dumb but what can you expect? It's Samantha's first time writing a play, right? So I don't know. It is still her imagination. She after... can't be good at everything. So... Yeah. <laughs> She's good at everything she does. Yeah. But it was, still would have been interesting to have seen the play. Or like, just even if it was just showing like the end and people applauding and enjoying it and potentially seeing the same people act as those characters. Maybe that could have been the way that they went back into imagination. If they acted them out, that would have been that would have been cool. Well, it must have been successful because I mean, it does end with her getting another job writing a vaudeville show or something. That's true. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And she gets the the two vaudeville guys that showed up. She thinks of them, and 
I, you know what I noticed that that Gladys is like, like they're they're caring for her feelings is going down to the shitter completely in this whole block. They, no they one don't cares. care anymore. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't even try to ex- explain to her what it could be. Instead, they just do it in front of her. Like I'm, I'm like the uh, the audacity for Samantha, how she's just kind of standing there acting like. She's not even there thinking about the vaudeville. They're right behind performing. She's just totally lost in her own little world. And Gladys is like, ah, ah, and then she just runs off and goes. She does. And she has it's the been best like fits. that every episode. I know it's so funny. Like the faces, the whole noises, the grunts. Up. Yeah, <laughs> she. You know, if this was an actual like uh, TV show now or something, when they were trying to actually world build and be continuous she would definitely be seeing either a regular psychiatrist or she would just be in the nut house right now um that would actually be interesting even though it would it would be so sad though because she actually is seeing these things um oh yeah and i thought another funny scene i always thought this was funny when i was younger um after she sees the psychiatrist she tells darren and samantha Get a hobby. Yeah. It's all in my mind. It's all in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> that part was so funny. Be a I thought, yeah, be a joiner. <laughs> uh, and then when the doctor, um, when he's saying it, he says it really fast and then she says it really slow. There's something about that interaction I found just hysterical because he's like, it's all in my mind. And she's like, it's all in my mind. And they're just repeating each other back and forth. That was so hysterical. I, I know me and my brother thought that was funny when we were growing up as kids. You gotta feel sorry for her. I know. I do feel sorry. <laughs> Everyone's just treating her like nothing's happening. and She's just going crazy. No one no one cares. No one's trying to explain shit. anything at all. All this yes. stuff is going on. But to be honest, if she kept her notes to her own business, she'd be Oh, I know. Because she's always looking into their... Can you imagine having somebody that nosy living next door that they're looking in your window all the time? Coming oh into God. your bedroom when you're sick, <laughs> you know, just, just walking into your bedroom. They just walk in all the time. They don't even knock in, in this block. If you notice, they no just one walk locks in. their windows or their doors. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, she seems like I, someone who would walk into someone's house or uh, walk into someone's window if the door was locked, but the, the window wasn't. I could see her doing that. I don't Gladys, think they have screens on their windows. Gladys is someone who desperately needs satellite. Nothing to do. Cable. She needs cable television. Unfortunately, that wasn't available in her time, but she needed yeah, exactly. She needed to get hooked on the soap operas during the day. That's what she needed to do. She should be watching more yeah. television. General yeah. Hospital, all my kids. Yeah, something. She definitely couldn't get laid, so she doesn't have that to keep her busy. I kind of feel sorry for Andrew. <laughs> just ignores her, though. That's why she's got too much time on her hands, because her husband doesn't give to Diddles. God forbid. I mean, to be honest, I mean, Darren and Samantha are in a new build because that they they're the first people to move in this house. Remember, the whole area is being built up, so they were, so they moved in there. So basically, you know, Gladys is there watching the, the watching her neighborhood grow around her. God knows what she did when that was happening. What I mean, I guess like, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> That brings us to season two, episode 10, which is junior executive. Samantha wonders what Darren looked like as a child, and Dora changes him into a 10-year-old self, played by Billy Mummy, otherwise known for Lost in Space. That's what I thought. I was in Twilight Zone. 
and Twilight Zone, and Darren is furious. Because of some nasty things Darren says about Endora, she changes him back into a boy right before meeting Mr. Harding, a new client who sells children's toys. Mr. Harding likes the idea of the boy and wants to meet him with Darren and the boy. While Darren is a boy, he runs into some other boys and they tell him why the toys are no good. So, Vicky, what are your thoughts of Junior Executive? Junior Executive. I thought, I thought that it was pretty funny how they inserted this this kid in here because he looked just like Darren, you know, right down to the suit. I guess his suit shrank with him too, and he's trying to get across the. Well, I mean, he I know, yeah, talking, that was funny. He starts talking to those other kids. Well, they're kind of bullying him at first, you know, taking his boat and throwing it, you know, throwing it over his head, keep away. That's kind of totally thing. what kids do, though. It's totally I know that's what boys do. do. Boys start <laughs> like. Like, I was home, and I let Asher, like, he was swimming with kids he didn't even know, and they were just trying to drown each other and beat the hell out of each other the whole time. They were swimming. Did they exchange names? No, but that's just what boys do. And um, I thought I thought that I I really enjoyed the two other kids because they were kind of comical because they're they're your typical Dennis the Menace type kind of thing. But I thought it was funny how he was trying to go back and well, but first you got Agnes Moorhead interfering again and screwing with Darren's life by turning him into a little boy to begin with, you know, I mean, and it just, you just can't, you just can't win with her. And then, you know, he gets, I mean, uh, was it Dick York? What is it? Dick Sargent's the second um, one, right? The second. Yeah. Dick York is the first. I, I like, I love Dick York. Probably the best because he seems to throw the best fits. Now, Sergeant was fine, but I mean, he was a little more calmer than this Darren. So this Darren gets really upset. But um, I, I thought it was funny how the kids were all, you know, he explained the toy doesn't do anything, you know. So he's he's got to go to this meeting and this guy wants to talk to this little boy he met, not Darren. So I don't know. It's just one of those typical convoluted situations that get him in trouble all the time. I mean, he does a lot of explaining to do most of his life, it seems. Mansplaining and going to jail. I think it was this episode that made me realize, I think, that they weren't consistent with the way that uh, they were able to perform magic. Maybe, because I might be getting another episode mixed up. Because, But I came to this realization that because I know in previous episodes they said another one witch could not undo another witch's spell, but yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember if Samantha. But they, but they kind of do tweak their spells now. Like she tries to fix things that her mother did, or or that Aunt Clara well, was did. She, was she tweaking her spell, or did Andorra finish it, and then Samantha just does the same spell over and over? Well, she kept doing yeah, it. I know she did that late. But I don't remember if she undid Endora's spell or not. Because I might be getting my idea mixed up with another episode that comes next. Because I know this was this came up maybe a couple times. Um, it might be the next episode that I'm actually thinking of, but I'm not sure. Because um, I don't remember if um, Samantha undid Endora's spell or if Endora... I think Endora undid it. Behind the, the scenes. The person that came to McMahon and Tate was so enamored of the little boy yeah. that he wanted to see him. And so Samantha had to keep going back and forth, turning him into adult, turning him into, you know. Yeah, I know she did that. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm kind of wondering um, from what you're saying, Jesse, is I'm kind of wondering that maybe they can't undo a spell if, if something happens in their head. So there's no incantation. 
But if there's an incantation, I think you can undo the spell because you need to know the incantation and able to undo the spell. Right. Like if I just like snap. Yeah, my- I guess that's true. Because I, I think I, I, like if I just snap my fingers and I can make something happen, I'm not sure if I cannot undo that spell. But it seems like whenever it's Aunt Clara's spells, but she uses incantations, that they always have to figure out what the incantation is and be able to undo this undo this spell. Yeah, I just I remembered that. Yeah, like because I know whenever Aunt Clara performs a spell with words, she usually doesn't remember it because she's older. So whenever Samantha's trying to get remember, she can't undo the spell, Clara, unless she remembers the words Aunt Clara used. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. They just didn't really explain that in this one. So I, I guess I was confused as to how that worked. I, but I think that's, like I said, I think that's in the next episode. I'll have to remind it when we discuss it. But, um, but then maybe... The- yeah, I don't remember if that one was spell-oriented or not. Maybe? That if you're like, you know, something happens, your mother's a witch and you're a witch, that maybe you can undo each other's spells because there's a family thing. Who knows? I'm making this up, but it could be, maybe it's possible. Be something to be interesting to look at. That's why I wish, that's why I wish this wasn't, yeah, I know I take it more seriously than the writers probably did because it's a sitcom. It's supposed to be comedic and um, not about the world building and concepts and stuff like that. So, but I don't know. I, I, I just like to understand magic because it's so fascinating. And they do actually seem to be consistent on this show, despite being a sitcom. So I guess that's why I pay more attention and try to point it out. Because they do actually a pretty good job of remaining consistent with the way certain witches are able to perform their are magic. Aren't warlocks supposed either, to be stronger I think than the witches? And overall... Aren't what? Aren't warlocks supposed warlocks? to be stronger? Oh, I don't know. I think they said that. I can't remember what episode it was. I don't know. But... Yeah, well, maybe I'm thinking of Jeannie and the Blue Gin. Who knows? I think it, the Blue I think Gin. That, oh, that's possible. I think um, I think as far as what I'm fi- finding out so far as witches and warlocks are concerned, from what we've seen so far, it doesn't seem like the warlocks are any stronger than the females because it seems like they seem yeah they seem, they seem to be on here. par with one another. The next episode that we'll be discussing kind of gives us a bit more information right. about that. But they see but there doesn't seem to be an ownership, not like in the straight world where man owned woman or anything like this or the mortal world. It seems like there's more Exactly. Um, Which is you know, because same thing with like an Endora. I think that's and, more like that's more of a Wiccan I think their I think their belief system is kind of like more Wiccan in in uh nature because they're more equal and I know in the Wiccan um, culture, I guess you could say, they are more equal because there's the representation of the horned god and then the, what, what is the, the lady called? Do you know, Vicky? What is that? <laughs> in Wiccan culture, there's, there's uh, Sir Nunos, the horned god, and who's the female, the lady of the night or something? No, Diana's the Huntress of the Forest. I think that that, I mean, it just depends because they, 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 yeah, everybody has a preference of who they, they're interested in. But I, it's usually, um, but regardless, Hate, but the three, the three face goddess. Yeah, yeah, Hec- from, Hecate. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's true. It's the triple goddess. That's what it is. It's the triple goddess and then the horns god, and they both represent. Um, kind of like one equal because they believe that the male and 
feminine energies should both be equal to one another. So I, I think that kind of plays into I'm the still world all of over bewitched, the is that they're all equal time. and they both. <laughs> but isn't uh, but also, <laughs> but isn't the whole, but isn't bewitched set up basically is that the witches are more evolved socially and more evolved in their ways. Well, they're, they're almost, they're almost like, they're, they're, they're super, yeah. they're, they're like gods almost on this because they can do anything. This is actually what I was going to address they're more later. Advanced, they're more advanced in their, in their views of the way the world is. than the Right. More, more well, they've lived a longer time. Yeah. But that's why they are, like Vicky said, and this, I was actually going to address this because when I was watching, I did realize that they are kind of like gods because I've been doing a lot of research about like ancient gods from, you know, the Sumerian culture um, with like the Anunnaki and then Greek gods and just gods from various different um places i've also been watching a lot of ancient aliens and all that other fun gibberish but uh i realized that after reading some of the more uh the greek mythologies more recently that the witches here because i've, I've also been trying to figure out like in bewitched what makes these witches different from like a mortal who decides to practice witchcraft and I think they're descendants of either the gods or like demigods or something like that. Cause they do remind me of like the God, like when Zeus tries to impregnate women, he usually transforms himself into an animal, but he also has the ability. And so does Athena um, have the ability to transform people into animals. And um, like in the story of Arachne, um, when she has a weaving contest with, with Arachne, um, Yes, um, Athena turns her into a spider to weave for the rest of her life because she was so haughty and to think that cocky. she could defeat a goddess. They and... always seem to punish the female folk. They were such a they were such a bunch of me too or yeah, female goddesses. <laughs> and I, I think I think Athena actually turned um, Medusa into the Gorgon. Yeah, um, she did. No, it was which Athena? was very confusing. I think I so. thought Hera turned her. I, in no, no, it was even, no, it was Hera. Hera. Zeus, yes, it was had Hera. Um, yeah, it was Hera. Um, but it, it reminds me of the Greek gods so much. And I, I, I do wonder. It kind of does he, correlate a little bit because they could do pretty much everything that any lie. of the gods uh, on Xeno Warrior Princess could do. Exactly. And so I, I feel like the witches and bewitched are either interbred with some of the gods or they are gods or they're like well we never get that gods. Answer, i don't know because i know it would be so fun to kind of establish that but they also live in like a cloud-like dimension whenever they have parties there's always like floating smoke and you know trees up in the stuff so you do wonder where they go in their witch world yeah um so I feel like it might be some kind of paradise or heaven or, or something. I don't know. It's so interesting. But I, I noticed that specifically with these episodes that they kind of do perform like gods from like the old stories. I also find that's quite interesting with um, what we also have here with this episode is that basically um, you get a really good performance by Billy Monkey playing a being able to you always get good performances from him and bouncing back and forth the playing in with yeah. his, the thing is you got him like playing like I, he's playing as he's daring when he's trying to make the phone call or what whatnot and dealing with things and oh god he was so cute he was, he was really good 
But then you got him playing like when he's play- hanging upside down with the boys and acting like a boy. Right. Do that at the same time and be able to switch it back and forth. I mean, that's quite something to see. And I felt, you know, it's a bit like yeah. when we saw Maureen McCormick do it when she's playing in a little Andorra. A little Andorra, you know, yeah. Sort of I thought it was kind of cute though. No, exactly. How long are you guys exactly. Hang upside down. And they goes until we until we black out and feel faint because that's what little <laughs> kids do, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think I mean I think overall I think it was quite a good little episode. I quite I quite enjoyed it. I smiled through it, sort of thing. I have to sit there and say though we are looking at Elizabeth Montgomery's pregnancy coming along quite well. Yeah, there's a lot of um questionable maternity clothes that she's wearing at the moment that kind of like. And, and there's a part, there's a uh, yeah. part of it that she's looking a bit tired and rough as well. It's almost like whatever's growing inside her is taking her life force away a little bit. Because there's, a, I think there's one where she's basically, um, oh, it's not American Horror is like Story, long and straight sort of thing, and she's wearing, and she's just really tired and drawn. And then of course, you know, basically remember, like all of Vicky's clothes from Dark Shadows. Yeah. Oh, the baggy ones. Well, that's the style back then. I know. They all were like the the Vicky Winters that we're seeing in Dark Shadows at the moment. She's pregnant. Oh, is she? Is she pregnant? Definitely. Definitely. Is that why she's going to get off the show soon? Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the reason. Why, yeah. That's the reason why she's behind a lot of sofas and her and her clothes are a lot baggy. Well, I, I was like on episode six hundred eighteen today. She was still looking skinny. Yeah, no, she'll be gone next month. So. But, um, oh, I, oh, it makes me upset, but whatever. <laughs> makes me upset. Um, but yeah, I was going to say that her, you could tell that she's really pregnant in this. I mean, yeah, I think, I think this is the first, yeah. I mean, before you know this, this episode, I think you realize how pregnant she really is sort of thing. I think he's actually in her Well, and then, and then her, her relatives, um, her, you know, the, her witchy relative pointed out to her, um, or, no, 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 the, 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 the wife pointed out to her husband um, and has to point it out to him for whatever because he's oblivious to the fact that she's pregnant. Says, "Oh, you're pregnant!" <laughs> or whatever, however that goes. <laughs> Wait, no, 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 that's not this episode. I'm sorry, that was that's the next one. Sorry, whatever. I totally got that mixed up. That brings us to season two, episode eleven, Aunt Clara's old flame. Aunt Clip, when Aunt Clara's old boyfriend Headley Partridge, played by Charles Ruggles, and this is the second time we see Charles Ruggles because he was Mister Caldwell in Caldwell Soup before. Oh, that's right. Um, actually, Charles Ruggles will go off on a little bit of tangent here. He's also known for um, also being in um, Beverly Hillbillies. He's done this. And he was also in one of the first Oscars. Oh, yeah. So the thing. And, um, yeah. But That's he why he looks you know, familiar. And he's a classic, classic Hollywood actor sort of thing. And he's also one of the voice. He also used to use his voices in the Rocky and Bullwinkle series as well. So, hey. Oh, so Aunt Clara's okay. old boyfriend, Henry Par- um, Partridge, comes for a visit. Aunt Clara fears that he will discover her powers have dimmed with age. Headley seems as virile and adept in his powers as he was when he was younger. In order to help Aunt Clara, Samantha performs whatever witchcraft Headley asks of her. It turns out that Headley's powers are fading as much as Clara's are. Um, this is filmed on August 4th, 1965. It was also remade in season seven as Samantha's Magic Mirror. So we'll be seeing this plot again when we get to season seven. Oh, gee. 
So I didn't have any idea that they 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 did that in the series. Yeah, they're gonna do, they're gonna they do it quite an often a lot in Bewitched sort of thing. So Jesse, um, what are your thoughts of this episode? Well, first, I do predict that this is going to be your favorite episode, perhaps of this block. But I personally thought this one it was definitely better than the prior episode. Um, As we know about Aunt Clara, she's going to be around for two more seasons, and of course. She dies in real life, right? Unfortunately, and um, and I'm kind of wondering if there would was there a scope to actually expand on her character a little bit more because it sounds like they were building her character up to something, but it looks like, but then is I mean, season two not so much, but season three we'll notice that there's a little bit of a decline in her, and we're going to see a bit of decline in the original Gladys Kravitz as well because um, I don't think that she needs yes. to pass season three because of her illness, but, which is unfortunate because it does seem like she's she's being more active in the show as of right now. Like she's been, I think in every single episode, um, mm-hmm. at least as far as the season's concerned. So it does seem like they were trying to build her up as well. I mean, I thought one good thing about Aunt Clara, what I quite like about this um, episode as well, is that we now, we now know a bit more about how Andorra feels about Aunt Clara as well, which we, you know, we kind of knew. So, you know, you're always going to get the impression that um, Andorra, I mean, Andorra kind of tolerates Aunt Clara because she's family. But now we know that Andorra loves Aunt Clara sort of thing and will do anything for her. So we do now know that as well. And especially when we see at the end where they're, you know, when Darren goes, I smell or- orange blossoms. And then basically it's like they go in the, and they're dancing and they look up and there's Andorra floating on the bounce. They're playing, you know, playing violin sort of thing. That was that was a fun scene. I like. I that. thought it was kind of cute though <laughs> that uh, that she turned him into an elephant, and they were both trying to hide the fact that they were getting on in years, and neither one of them could do their you know witchcraft as good as they could back in their younger years, which is kind of sweet because I mean, people as you get older, you know things aren't working <laughs> properly the way they used to, and. And, you know, you're going to slip here and there. And I thought it was kind of cute how he wanted to impress her and she wanted to impress him. I think little old couples are just darling. I just do. And she well, is, I also, for sure. I think everybody I, needs to be Clara. Well, something I also enjoyed was how Endora, I mean, um, Aunt Clara talks back to Endora and tells her to butt out, which is not something she usually does. That's usually something Samantha does. And to see that, I found it very entertaining. And Andorra actually listened. Aunt Clara wanted to um, talk about... Um, she wanted to talk about him privately, I guess. I found it quite interesting that... Um, I did like when we got um, Harry... Oh, Headley, sorry. Headley coming... Um, you know, is in the house. Um, Gladys knocks on the door, of course, to pick up sugar again. Um, opens the door, and he thinks that that's Samantha. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> and then, yeah, that was and then funny Darren, too. And then when Darren, Darren comes and goes, that's that. He goes, oh, because I was a bit worried there. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny when he, you know, I thought that was quite good. Um, again, we too. do get Gladys and bringing Abner this time, barging in on this. Private- well, there's a little baby yeah. elephant in the living room that was Headley. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they didn't throw that line. It's like, um, um, not to discuss the elephant in the room, but I'm yeah, surprised they didn't throw that line. you cut out. I didn't hear you. But when she when when Aunt Clara's body's like half missing, 
when she turns the other guy, when she turns Headley into um, an uh, elephant. elephant, a baby elephant. And then she the elephant. To, and then she has to stand behind the um, sofa to hide that she's only half a body. Yeah. And then <laughs> Abner just happens to walk in. He just not there. He's not the brightest bulb in the box, is he? Because he he's just so complacent. Oh. He doesn't see anything. He's so boring and droll. He just sits around and does absolutely nothing. He's the kind of husband you want to smother in the middle of the night with a pillow. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Abner's just totally useless. Uh, you know, it's like no wonder she's going yeah. crazy. He doesn't pay any attention to to Gladys. He doesn't. He's mean to her. It would be nice to have to give his character some um, evolution, especially after. Uh, I was saying that it would be nice to give Abner some kind of character evolution, but I know he's just kind of maybe a trope for, you know, comedically for the, the typical the husband. No, I, in general. Yeah. But you know, like yeah, after I'm, the episode when they kind of are thinking about getting a divorce and then coming back together, it would have been nice to see some evolution to his character or have him actually realize that Samantha's a witch or maybe he wouldn't care uh, versus where um, Gladys would be totally freaked out or something. Well, I mean, let's put this in reality. Let's put let's let's sit there and say that Gladys and Abner are real people, and let's sit there and say that they have the personality traits that they have. If I was Abner, I'd probably either divorce her or ignore her. There would be the two options you have. So, because to be honest, yeah. I think if I if I was married to someone like Gladys in real life, if there's a real person like this, is is this is real life? I don't think I could stay married to that. That would drive me up the freaking wall. Abner. Well, the simple fact is she never knows yeah. everyone's business. She's, um, she's always like, there's always a drama about her. And he, and let's sit there and say, let's, let's face it. I mean, if I saw things going in and out of someone else's house or whatever they were doing, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, fine, just as long as they're happy, as long as it doesn't infringe on me. You know, it's a bit like, you know, when, co- when we were in lockdown, if the people next door wanted to have a COVID party inviting 150 of their closest friends and all sneeze and cough on each other, I don't care. Just as long as you're not coming to my house and doing it, I don't care. So right, right. And, but if I lived with someone who's basically, let's there and say that, you know, Gary or Isaac spent all their time in the other in the neighbor's business, I wouldn't I couldn't deal with that either. Sort of it's sort of like that movie The Burbs with Tom Hanks. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in, you know, in, in reality, I mean to to live with some I mean, to think about living with someone who's so involved in everything's people, going people, on yeah. lives have nothing really to do with you whatsoever to she needs fact, a hobby or a job well so to the simple fact is that she's not even i mean it's not like she's looking out the window and commenting on it she's actually going out of her house and going over to that person's house and cementing herself into whatever drama is going on over there oh i know she walks right in she's always got that cup for a cup of sugar you ever notice that I mean, Especially in these episodes, because she's got every almost every episode that we watch, she's got a cup in her hand looking for sugar, even though she doesn't. Well, yeah, it. now now she needs as often as she's coming over, she needs a better excuse. Um, so she tries the sugar, which is not you know like you you no one's that stupid. Like she needs to come up with something even better than that because. Uh, Samantha she's gets the troll. Always looking in their and, window. It's just like, God. Well, now she's just waltzing in now. She, She's just knocking. She's more now, which is, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. There's something about that that I like. I would love for this to be like a legitimate 
I don't know, some kind of more dramatic show. Like now, like if they redid it in like a 50s, 60s style, it would be so cool for them to elaborate on that and have some kind of really cool storyline because it's, I, I, there's something about that that I like when she's just more brave about coming over. She's on the verge of discovering Samantha. I don't know, something. Even though I, I thought Samantha told her at one point, didn't she? Or is that later I on? Know. I don't even know. Well, she kind of told I thought, her and then made it. And then, um, because remember, she said, the picture like frame. When she's turning her into a fortune teller. Was a psychic or something. Right? Yeah. yeah. But then again, I mean, okay, let's take that. Was that, was that the fortune teller episode, uh, the frames? Yeah. I mean, let's take the witchcraft out of the situation. Let's just there and say that basically, you know, this is real life. And Samantha and Darren have moved into your neighborhood. And let's sit there and say they're not getting along or for whatever reasons. And basically, you have this next door neighbor knocking on your door every time, every time you're having an argument with your other half. Just so they can put themselves in the middle of your life. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, I mean, my hats go off to Samantha and Darren to a certain extent. I mean, you know, I know this is fantasy and it's you know about the witch kind of about you know about her seeing all this stuff. But could you? Ma- I mean, if she would, if I had a neighbor that came over to my house every time just, just doing that, I would probably you know go to the police and have some have her sectioned or something and made sure something. that something to make sure she never she she wasn't allowed five hundred feet in near me after a while so so you have to give them credit for them to actually put up with that so. well part of it's definitely yeah. it's brought on <laughs> themselves though because they they they're always she's always getting caught in the act of doing something or sneaking something well little i mean little does vicky know that jesse and i are actually buying a house across the road from vicky and we're going to actually implant ourselves into our lives every time we see something going on in our house that's just fine i don't have enough to keep me occupied jesse Jesse, can you see what's going on over there jesse (laughs) (laughs) oh also usually when people imitate gladys they're imitating But I've noticed that a lot of people who imitate um, Gladys Kravitz, they're imitating the later Gladys. Oh, the, yeah, the, that one. Because yeah. they always say Abner has more of a bum now. And always says Abner with a hard R. Abner! You know, she says it like that, whereas the other one has more of the Abner. Yeah, it's totally different. I know that's like, I guess that's He's my little... He's still not uh, a very compelling like fellow with know. the new wife, so... The new, the, the new one, so... No. No, no one, no one stays the same. And Claire's doorknob fixation still very much prevalent. And um, I did like when she sat there and said that um, when, you know, Hedley gives her the door, this great big elaborate gold doorknob that she said it was better than an engagement ring. So that was quite interesting. Um, wait, what, no, was was that one from Buckingham Palace or was that a different one? No, she was no, standing from Buckingham one. Palace, and that's why Andorra was a bit worried about her. Or something. That's what it was. Yes, yeah, that's what now, it was. I thought it was. Yeah, big and gold. I mean, that looks like something that would be in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> now, this would be the last appearance that we'll see of Charles Ruggles in Bewitched. Um, after this, he would go on and do Man from Uncle, Andy Griffith, Sell the Monsters, and Bonanza, and um, sort of thing. But, um, okay. Which is kind of sad because after I watched this, it would have been quite nice to have him as a reoccurring character popping in. Everyone's like, oh, you know, or whatever. So, no, that's what I was. No, that yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I totally agree. So that's that's something because I, I actually quite like I like the um, 
I love the Charles Riggles warlock um, witch coming into it because this is the first time that we actually get a warlock who is very mellow, very respective of what's going on around them, and very. The other ones are likable. Uncle Arthur's likable. Samantha's father's likable. Don't get me wrong, but this one's actually one that actually treated Samantha and Darren with respect and quite respected their. You know what I he mean? Did. He no... didn't give him any grief about him being a mortal or that she married a mortal. I mean, he really was very nice. Yeah, he acted like he was oblivious. Yeah. Of the fact. And I also quite like, I thought it was quite telling as well. I think this is also, this is where we get a little bit more information about what happens to an aging witch, where we find out that basically they're they're thrown into an old witch's home, which doesn't sound very nice, actually. No. And, um, and, and the thing. Not, and obviously, when you become, when you forget about, if you can no longer walk through walls and you can't do your spells, that's where the that's where you're forced to go. Which is, I guess, it shows something about the love that Aunt Clara has about her that her family are not going to let that happen to her. So I thought that was quite lovely, actually. Didn't it? Right. That. You know, you had to read between the lines, but we do get that here. So I thought that was quite nice when they put that in there as well. Well, she's so sweet. How do you not like her? You know, that's what that's the funny thing about yeah. this is that every time that Aunt Claire isn't put into like the weirdest, whether it's with Larry Tate or Darren's parents or whatever right. thing that she's put into. She always she, gets forgiven. She always gets forgiven, even to the fact where she's thrown in front of a judge and basically being, you know, almost up for what child cruelty, wasn't she? And right, whatever. something like that. Yeah. Um and then she, you know, she's just herself and just, you know, and you know, they go, oh no, we need to fight for her. And they're gonna let her talk. And by, by the time she's finished talking, she turns everyone around to her to her and everyone just loves her. And that's like I think that's quite endearing sort of thing. So even though and I think that's another thing I think that Bewitched does very, very well is that, that how they show people who are aging. And though they should be the butt of the joke, they're not the butt of the joke. And even though people mm-hmm. should be talking down to her like they do with old people, but people don't talk down to Clara. They accept her for who she is, and they love her for who she is, and they let her be who she is. And I think that's quite a good message to have on any kind of television show about how you know how you do with aged people. <laughs> This brings us to our last episode that we're covering, which is Season 2, Episode 12, A Strange Little Visitor. Samantha agrees to keep a 10-year-old warlock named Merle Brocken, played by Craig Hudley, overnight, for Merle has promised to not do any magic in front of Darren. Darren finds out that Merle, Merle is a warlock. Darren may change his mind about Merle using his witchcraft when a burglar, Tim Herbert, breaks into the house looking to steal the expensive necklace he knows Darren is keeping for Larry. James Dewan and Ann Sargent appear as Merle's parents, and this was filmed July 8th, 1965. So, so what are your thoughts about this one? Well, I kind of got confused on, on this one a little bit. I may need to go back and rewatch it. How did he know that uh, that Darren had that necklace? Did I, I must have just turned my head and missed it. about the burglar? Yeah. The bur- um, Larry, uh, when... Um, at Merle, the bar. When Samantha agreeing to babysit Merle. Right. Then, it, then, then the, what happens is it, it's cutting back and forth. And what you get is Darren having drinks with Larry. And Larry said, I bought 
Louise a necklace, but I can never surprise you because she's nosy and sticks her nose in everyone's face. Right, right. And asked Darren to um, take care of the necklace. But next to them, um, there's this guy, and basically they flip a coin who's going to pay the check, and the coin falls, and the guy next to him hides the coin because he's going to steal the coin. But then when he brings the coin forward, basically what happens is he gets noticed and gives him the coin, but notices that about the necklace, and that's the burglar. Okay, I must have missed that because um, he just kind of popped. I must have just stepped out of the room or something because he just he just seems really random, kind of a burglar. He wasn't even a very good burglar. I mean, he was showing his face and just like, you know, no, everything about him sticks out like a sore thumb. You know? He reminded me of Bert Lars Kine in the Wise for some reason. He was very cowardly and like scared of his own shadow. It's like you you can't be scared of everything as a burglar because if you jump from your own mishaps, like how are you going to go into someone's house and steal something without making a ruckus? And I told like as clumsy as he is, I totally don't buy the fact that he managed to tie up both Darren and the boy. Like that's just. I, I don't well, know. That's because that he made the little boy promise that he wasn't witchcraft. Yeah, you know this episode. Still, like that's dumb. That's dumb. I like bits of this episode, but it feels like the burglar thing was kind of tacked on for some reason. <laughs> it didn't feel like they feel like two episodes. Yeah, it like, does. It feels very last minute. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I like I, if they had done like the Home Alone kind of thing that would have been interesting and i mean i like this i'd like the storyline with merle sort of thing about basically is like and i quite like that because what you got was you know how how are samantha and darren going to be his parents so i like that sort of thing so you got you get an idea what darren's going to be like as a father sort of thing so we get that you right know, ball sort of thing even though he doesn't know that merle has capabilities but then we also uh, get you know the way darren bugged be, me though was well, like eat your meatloaf, meat, you know what I mean? It's like you know, oh, you know, don't read at the table and yeah. all the other stuff that you know that you get a family. So we get, an, I like that idea because it gives you a, a little bit of hint about what Darren and Samantha could be like parents. So I like that part of it, and you know, and the part about not using witchcraft, I actually, you know, that has to basically do not as, you know, maybe Samantha need to be a bit more forthcoming, but. But then again, but Samantha does explain herself at the beginning saying that, you know, I don't know. I mean, my family's caused a lot of grief to Darren. So I don't know. If, you know what I mean? So I can understand that because, you know, we've seen up to this point. Yes. Samantha's family does cause a lot of grief to Darren. <laughs> magical. You know, oh, they just screw with him constantly. The poor guy. I mean, you know, he must really love his wife. That's all I can say because he tolerates so much. And you would think that they would see this by now, you yeah, know. Sure. But also to say that it's nice that we get Samantha, you know, noticing that and she she's fully aware of it. So I thought that was quite nice in this episode as well. I was like, okay, so she's totally that. But then she decides to, you know, take him. And the, um, to be honest, when they first showed up, I thought when the, when the episode first started, I thought that boy was going to be the one that got adopted out during the Christmas episode last year. <laughs> Right. For a visit because he's like, oh, I haven't seen you guys for ages. I'm like, oh, this is the little boy. That- I kind of felt bad for that kid in that episode last last Christmas because he really needed a family, and they sent him back. <laughs> well, just- no, he got a family, didn't he? He got his family at the end because. Well, that's had- right. That was random, though. He just decided to take off. You know, I don't know. That was kind of random. I guess you can only do so much in 23 and a half minutes. 
Yeah, the only adoption to take place over Christmas ever in the life of man. But um, that didn't have to go through the court system. But, you know, so I thought that was him. So when he ended up being totally different people, I got kind of, oh, okay, actually, this is somebody else sort of thing. But, um, but I also quite like, what I also liked about this episode is Merle, because he was so polite, but in a horrible way that you couldn't really argue with him. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's a bit like yeah. when we did the bad scene with Rhoda. You know, well, he was kind of a Weisenheimer, but at the same note, he was a very polite Weisenheimer. The kid was, yeah. which so makes it was... very hard, hard to deal with, very hard to correct or how you know what I mean. And because you know, it's a bit like you know, if you're telling someone they're doing something bad and they're kind of like agreeing with you, even though they're not going to do anything about it, it's really kind of hard to get through to that person. And I quite like that about him, sort of thing. Then you know, and even the way that he he acted, he he acted unaware of the fact. Yeah, and but even the way that he deals with Gladys, but well you know, he was aware of what he was doing. Oh yeah, he's a little shit. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. but he was very good at it. <laughs> subliminal, sub, sub, I can't say the word subliminal little shit. You know? Well, because he was definitely smarter than Darren. Darren doesn't come off as being very smart. Well, how old is this kid? kid. Like his... But I, I don't know. I liked the way. It... Yeah. Well, I mean, if I don't know. Samantha's like a couple couple thousand years old. Is this kid like five or six hundred years old? In which is years, you know? So he's been around the horn a couple times no, right? more than Darren. So. Yeah. So I mean, you know, if it takes if it takes a mortal age to adulthood, well, let's say twenty one years to grow into adulthood. How long does it take for a witch? to go into adulthood. How long do you live with your parents for? Do you live with your parents for like 50, 100 years? Very you an adult? Who knows? I don't know. Good question. I did enjoy the way, I, I did enjoy the way Samantha um, handled him though. I didn't really care for the way Darren tried to handle him because Samantha just kind of points out like the facts and the truth of the matter and Darren just tries to force his way, and I hate that because it's so. You just don't like Darren when people are like that. Some people, <laughs> no, I don't. But <laughs> that, don't that's like the Darren. part of the reason why, because he's not—he's not only patronizing to this kid, but he's in the beginning, especially, he was very patronizing to Samantha, like almost constantly, um, like in the earlier first season. So, yeah, that's part of the reason why I don't like Darren. It's not that as a whole I don't like him, but there are aspects of him that I really don't like. And I, I like when he's more softer because there are episodes when he's softer and actually very agreeable and fun to watch. But sometimes he just comes off as like, Oh, I just wouldn't do it that way. Oh, why can't you be more understanding? Um, but otherwise I, I, I didn't have any other issues with him. This, this block actually, it was just that. To be fair to Darren though, I had to sit there and say that once he realized that he was, a warlock. He did change a little bit towards the way he was dealing with them. Which warlock? Well, before because before yeah. he, at first he doesn't know that he doesn't know that Merle is a warlock at all. He thinks he's a normal boy, and so he acts one way. But I notice that once he finds out he's a warlock, then he slightly changes. But I have to sit there and say that the only time Darren really has a go at him really is when he's being disrespectful to. Samantha, really, you know, by saying that he yes, doesn't like me, he's going to ignore her or sass him back to him. We didn't, 
He doesn't seem to have too much of a problem when he's when Merle's sassing back to him. It's only when he's disrespecting Samantha, which I find that. Yes. That. So, so I get you know, and I guess that's being you know the 1960s patriarchal father who basically you know, you know you you respect your mother, and I guess that's the kind of role sort of thing. But um, but I thought um, but I didn't I didn't find him like too over the top, and even when he finds out that Samantha wasn't 100 honest with him. You know, he did. He did take it in his stride. He didn't. There was no fits about witchcraft being used and all the other. Stuff. They just randomly dropped this kid off because I mean, were, were they relatives? Because here they did. They just show up and they just decide to leave their boy. I know that they know them, but I mean, it, it, they just the people just pop into the Stevens's life and you just never see them again. Well, it's yeah, true. but it's like we haven't seen you in so long, and you're like, oh, this is the first time we've seen you at all. But you know, thing you're kind of wondering, like, okay, if you have, if you're a if you're a witch, and let's sit there and say that you have to go to a convention in London or wherever in the world you need to go, aren't you just able to zap a babysitter from somewhere? Well, that's what I would think. <laughs> You'd think so. You know, I think don't we see later? Isn't at one point? Doesn't um, Tabitha at one point get Ben Franklin to babysit her or something? Don't we see that at some point or someone like that? Yeah, something like that. But you know, it would have been interesting if they pulled like a Twilight Zone with like icing the body electric or something, where they get some kind of like weird. I don't know, like an android. Like if they just whip something weird like that into thin air, someone who is more programmed to be a babysitter and that was like their only function because apparently they, you can create something from your imagination it would be fun to see them do something like that sometimes aside from the the, the playwright episode well another thing we got merle is i mean god forbid what a stingy little boy he doesn't believe in sharing no at yeah. all then he electrocutes sharing because he turns that hairbrush into a fire truck and that's how he gets the burglar, though, because he's. Going I know, to but at dangerous. the same time, I mean, I mean, think about him. It's like he's got this toy that he has. Anytime someone touches it, he goes ballistic. It's like, yeah, kind of, he has to get like. Yeah. Didn't your parents teach you how to share? That's like that's like child rearing one hundred and one. Isn't that the first thing you teach your children how to share their toys, how to share sort of thing? Not like it's mine, all mine. Don't touch it. It's mine. Do you think yeah, it's mine? mine? What's mine's is mine. Thing. But I mean, yeah, it does. I mean, I mean, it does. I mean, it is foreshadowing and it does come to light later on. It's like, oh, well, you know, basically, yeah, he's fine for them to be burgled. And I mean, God forbid, I mean, they could have been shot. I mean, the guy had a gun. They shot them. He's fine with that. Just as long as they don't touch his fire truck. Really? <laughs> I know that that's why I got frustrated. I thought it was very dumb. I know, I know it's I don't know. I know it's they're trying to be consistent and stuff, but there are times and I wish that the show was aware of that, that there are times to you know, go against a promise that you made, especially when it's life or death, but because it was comedic, I guess you could afford that moment, but otherwise it was just kind of dumb. Like if if it was a real life situation, that's just stupid, like logic. It just doesn't make sense to do something like that in real life. And because it's not real life, you do feel kind of, I don't know. It feels like a betrayal of some kind of just intelligence and, Whatever, because you know in real life you would go against a promise if it meant someone's life, but because it wasn't a serious thing, because the burglar was obviously used. Um, it, was, it was it was a play for laughs. Yeah, it was. Um, it was 
Yeah, it was supposed to make people laugh. So I guess in that way, I get it. But still, there's something about it that just doesn't, it bugs me. <laughs> it just irks me a little bit. So um, yeah. yeah, I mean, another thing I find quite bizarre about Bewitched, what we've noticed in the first where we are to going is that sometimes we get continuing storylines where they do carry storylines through for some reason. And then other times that they don't. So it's kind of like, so it's kind of a bit off balance sometimes. Well, you can tell it sometimes that they got more than one writer per episode because that's like 25 minute episodes. And you can tell distinctive styles like when somebody else is helping to write the episode. You know what I mean? Well, I think yes. what they do is that I think yes. is like you have your team of writers. You know, like you might have one writer per episode sort of thing. I think that they all work together. and It's like, OK, this is what we're doing sort of thing here. I think the writers work in different rooms. Do you know what I mean? It's like you work in this episode. You guys work on that episode. I noticed that the Aunt Clara ones are always tend to be written by the same person, though. I have noticed that. Right. Always, oh, really? Yeah. They okay. Always, I remember uh, you mentioning that before. I still think that yet to look that up. Sort of thing. He writes her with so much heart, though, because she really is quite an endearing character. But they always seem to be written by Bernadette. I'm oh, sorry, Bernadette Slade writes all those episodes, the ones with um, them. And the ones that deal with, like, the real tender family moments and stuff like that. They're always Bernard Slade. He also wrote Junior Executive as well. And he also wrote Takes Two Aspirin and Half a Pint of um, Porpoise Milk. He wrote that one. And he okay. to write all those, all those ones that have like a nice little message in them and stuff like that sort of thing. So, And there, and there does seem to be follow through with Aunt Clara's character. There always seems to be a follow through with those episodes. That, you know, you can take all the Aunt Clara ones out basically and put them together and you probably have almost a decent movie. You know, mm-hmm. the Aunt Clara movie sort of thing, where some of the other ones are kind of like you're dipping out and very episodic. So, so this brings us to our favorite character and our least favorite character of this block. And let's start with Jesse. Who's your favorite character of this block and your least favorite character of this block? I know. So especially when you don't have nothing that's wrong with anything that you don't like. Uh, I know. I mean, I guess uh, I'll just have to say Adora for this one because of this reason. Um, because that one episode, um, what is the name of the episode with Billy Mummy in it? Billy Mummy. Oh, je- uh, Junior Executive. Yeah, because I don't know. Even though it was a good episode, if Endora wasn't in it, it probably would be... I mean, it still kind of is my least favorite, but it would be even more so if Endora hadn't played a role in it. She kind of saved the episode a little bit for me. So, Because it's not my favorite out of this entire block. It's just not my favorite. It, it was still good, but when you compare it to all the other episodes we, we watched, um, it, I don't think it, it's as strong as the others. It feels unfair to say that, but it's it's just... Which silly. episode are you Anyways. talking about? Junior, exec- executive. Junior Executive. I don't know. I thought that was a good episode. I kind of liked all the, the back and forth. I thought it was, you know... Yeah. I, I like how Darren always... No, it's it's it. good. It's good, but you know you're going to have to pick a least favorite, and that is probably going to be mine, um, at least as far as I... Well, yeah, we are talking that's about how I feel right now. It's <laughs> I know, and, and Dora is my favorite character because of that. She saved the episode for me. And I guess you hate Darren. 
Mm, no, not necessarily. We can blame it on the burglar. He had a short bar. Yeah, yeah, probably the burglar. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was, he, did, he did kind of feel like he was thrown in, like um, Keith said earlier, uh, tagged on or whatever. So yeah, probably because I just uh, yeah, I, I felt like that aspect also kind of ruined the episode for me. It felt um, like it interrupted a flow of some kind um, because the episode was good overall, like that episode with Merle. But then when you throw in the burglary, it just kind of throws a wrench in whatever they were doing with the episode. And I didn't like that. So yeah, he definitely is my least favorite because he ruins that for me. <laughs> that was kind of what chaos, yourself, Vix, Who's your favorite character and least favorite character? Oh, favorite character. I'm going to have to go to the little boy that from Lost in Space. I, I really enjoyed his Silly character. Mommy. Yeah, because he was just, I don't know, you know, then he decided, you know, he was going to act like, you know, a typical little boy and starts hosing them down with the, the squirt gun and stuff. Yeah, I, oh, I, yeah that, that was that was a good scene. He's just, he was just really good that. at the back and forth. I used to enjoy him in Lost in Space, you know. I mean, I thought that was a cool show, too, back in the day. And, uh, oh, he's just, he's just a good little, he was, I don't know, wonder what happened to him. Does he wonder if he's still alive? He's yeah, he's still alive. He doesn't look as good as he did when he was a kid, but he's still None alive. None of us do, darling. None of us do. <laughs> well, you yeah, you you just don't know unless you look at pictures. I'm sorry, Billy Mummy. I'm sorry if you ever come on the show. You should delete that. It's fine. <laughs> uh, he doesn't believe anything I say. I but just no, realized. I just, he, yep. Oh God, no! Don't invite him on the show. I was going to suggest if he's still alive, invite him on the show, but not. Nah. Not after the insults. Um, maybe not. If you decide, if you decide to get rid of these comments, no, I'm going to keep those comments. I'm going to actually take you next to him. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, they're like David Selby that one time saying, "You thought I was dead." <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't. I've been following Dark Shadows for a lot longer, so. <laughs> he goes, you thought I, I, I was, he was still alive. No, I thought that... that those sorry, I've been wanting to go to a Dark Chaz convention. I thought the little boys... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean strong. to interrupt. No, the little boys are really strong characters. I thought it was refreshing to see young kids in there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just doing what they do. And, you know, like how the kid handled the bird. I wish kid actors were just as good now. Huh? I just I thought the kids were funny because... I wish actors were just as good now i think there's an inconsistency and i think i can't really say i have a character i really don't like um you know it's it's got to probably be larry tate because he just rubs me the wrong way because he's such a two-faced fair weather friend kind of guy mm. you know larry's just out for himself you know and he thinks that darren is just his buddy but he's he's really a chiseler you know he's 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 basically out for himself but oh. i mean that's but I mean, I yeah, I especially mean, yeah. He's kind of you know, but I, I mean, I especially I like in this that. one because because that little boy, he kept he was you know, you got to yeah. have him here. He's always sticking it to Darren. Darren's always got. Well, he was also go the he, extra mile. For him. Didn't he? Didn't he kind of threaten Darren in one of these episodes too with his job? Kind of, sort because, of. He's uh, always threatening him, kind of, sort of, you know, because oh, I, yeah. I they want this count, you know. 
And is it was yeah, this, it makes this, you this realize was, that they're not. This was also friends. the one with the guy when they were kept, when they, the suit, right? The suit kept disappearing. Yeah, this flock, and so you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. running around the car. I thought I got a kick out of that. I I just like the Aunt Clara ones because she's just so sweet. It's hard to really single anybody out sometimes when you're happy with every episode you just watched. What about you, Keith? My favorite character is Headley Partridge, played by Charles Ruggles. I think it's a fan. I thought the way he portrayed his character with such empathy and such feeling and such a politeness and such a suave way of doing it. And you really, you know, and I like the way that he was able to persuade that he, that, you know, that he thought he, you know, he's, he's you know, they're playing this trick about, you know, that he still has his abilities and stuff like this. And the way that, and even when it comes to the realization that he no longer has his, you know, his gifts as, you know, the warlock anymore. He wasn't going to let on either, though. No, but the thing is, is to be honest, is the way that he presents his, this way that he presents character, the way he acted that character, the way the character presented. And, and, and when it all comes to the fore and stuff like that, and the way that it all plays out, I thought he was very strong and I loved him. And, it, and I had to sit there and say, I left that episode wanting to see him be part of coming back more and more and more again. I wanted more and more of him. I would like to see more and more of him. In yeah, he's a lot of fun. Sort of so, like that little old guy in Dark Shadows that never came back. Yeah. And I love the way, you know, I love the interchanging between him and the interchanging that we get between him and Darren and him and Samantha and all of it. It's just, I worked very well for me and that's what I loved about that. My least favorite is the burglar. I think that if you're going to have a burglar and you're going to throw something into the mix, I think that the way Make that it they look like a burglar. Not well. I mean, he doesn't need to wear you know the you know the black mask and the the white and black um, shirt. But I do think what they could have done it would have been better if they made him like an ethnic stereotype, maybe like very Italian mafia type or right. something like that to give him like a very. But, you know, something to give you a very, because to be honest, because this character is not very well developed, but if you gave him very, like a very, very strong, you know, strong characterization as far as like the way he spoke and, or something, there would have been a threat. But it's kind of like he breaks in and there's not that threat and you need that threat there to feel, so that way when everything pans out at the end, that way you feel like there's a bit of a payoff. And there's not that threat. You yeah, a resolve. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like... The nerd, the nerd down the street who's never seen daylight for the last 12 years because he's all behind his computer screen breaks into your house to steal something. And it kind of felt like that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like okay, well, you know, basically I could just kick you and basically you just be down in a right. second flat. There's like nothing to you, you know? So I just think that maybe it was a bit more heftier yeah. or a bit more stronger or more brawner or a bit more, you know, you know, you know, I don't know, a bit more stronger ethnically. I don't know, strong, strong, whatever. It would have painted more of a picture for someone with such a little part. And so, therefore, when that when he did, this character did break into your part, then maybe you would feel a bit something more than this this eight day player breaking into your house. That's what I felt like a day player who really had no character. I can't remember what this guy looks like. Let's put it that way. I can. He was shifty looking. He was pretty sketch. Yeah. <laughs> he just, to me, he just need to be more shifty. So he, he did kind of remind me of the reptilian. Slee stack? Very clumsy. The slee stack. Mm. You know, I've been, I would have even more preferred if he looked like um, 
Boris from, you know, Bullwinkle and Rocky. Or even if you look more like Natasha. So. <laughs> <laughs> I get you, Moose. I'm going to get you, Moose. So let's talk about our favorite episode and our least favorite episode out of this block. Um, Vicky, what's your favorite episode of this block and your least favorite episode of this block? Okay. My favorite episode in this block would probably be um, uh, uh, la 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 la. My aunt, aunt, why am I having, I'm having a friggin' brain fart. Aunt Clara with her little old boyfriend, because I thought it was sweet. I think little old people together are just so sweet. And they were so cute together. And it was really heartfelt and sincere episode, really. And my 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 least favorite, I hate to say pick out a least favorite because I really kind of enjoyed all four or five of these, was probably be the burglar one. Because that one kind of was a little all over the place. Kind of sort of. Thank love is there. But um I enjoyed it. It wasn't my favorite one though. Now yourself, um Jess, what's your favorite episode and your least favorite episode? Well, I'll start with my least favorite since that's what I'm certain of. Um and that's probably the junior executive one, just because um, of mentions I re- uh, reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, and my favorite, um, geez, let me think. The first one was, what was the first one again? The suit? No, no, the first one that we did was, and then I wrote. Okay, yeah, the Civil War guy exam. Oh, maybe that one's my favorite. That I was a that good one, one too. Favorite, that was a very yeah. good one. Yeah, that was good. My favorite has to be Aunt Claire's Old Flame only because I quite like, I, I, I like the ones that kind of tear at my heart and make me smile and everything like that. I know, I know. I'm a sucker for those anyway. So that, I mean, they're, I'm always going to fall in that category. The question is when we expand to eight episodes, we might get two of these in the blocks and then that might, that might test me a bit more. My least favorite has to be, um, unfortunately, a strange little visitor. I like aspects of it. I like the Merle being an, warlock and i like that aspect of it it's the payoff wasn't that good for me and it would have been nicer to i think that they could have been a bit more clever than trying to throw something in there it just felt it felt a little bit everything seemed it was a bit, little random yeah it just felt that everything was too sandwiched together to make it work and it and for that reason it didn't work for me so <laughs> Yeah, so that brings us to the end of the Witch uh, Season 2, Episodes 8 through 12. Next month, we'll be expanding to eight episodes for each of our um, episodes of Bewitched that we'll be doing. And we'll be going from Episode 13 to Episode 20 in Season 2. Now, of course, um, this is the end of um, Season 4 um, for the Literary License Podcast. Um, we'll be doing Season 5. But to finish off our season four, our two for one, Nature versus Man, the Godzilla from 1954 and Godzilla from 2014. Also, we'll be finishing up our Dark Shadows, which will also be expanding into a double episodes of starting in season five. Season five, um, our classic novels will no longer be classic novels, but Kings of Horror will be starting off that season with a new, co- a new co-host. And that will be called Dead Zone by Stephen King and Dead Zone directed by... Um, David Cronenberg. 
And of course, um, next month when we start season five, we will no longer be Nature versus Man, but the 80s, which are horror films, will be Scanners from 1981 and Videodrome from 1983, both directed by David Cronenberg. So for me, it's good night and good night, Vicki. Good night, everybody. Take care of each other. Good night, Jesse. Good night, all. And we'll see you next week for uh, the end of our Nature's Versus Man with Godzilla from 1954 and Godzilla from not 2014. Sorry. Yep. That's the end. Sitting at the table tonight, you look so beautiful in the candlelight. And looking at her, looking at him after 50 years, I pictured you. Yeah.